1: this is Star Talk. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. And for today's episode, we're talking about the COVID-19 vaccines. Ooh. Chuck, you with me on this one?
2: I am indeed. However, okay. I am not vaccinated. They're not vaccinated. Okay. No. And, and I'm I'm halfway through that. So. Oh, did you? Yeah, I'm halfway
1: through. Congratulations. Thank you. Did it up at Harlem Hospital up in Manhattan. Nice. Uh, in Harlem, of course. Right. Uh, so, obviously, neither you nor I have specific expertise in this field. So, we're going to our man who does, and that is Dr. Erwin Redliner, a friend for many decades. Erwin, welcome back to Star Talk. Now, I, 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 I'd so delight in reading your title because it's the, one of the baddest-ass titles that we've got here. So you were the founding director of Columbia University's National Center for Disaster Preparedness. Sweet. And you created the Pandemic Resource and Response Initiative at Columbia University. So this is—you are the man.
2: You, if I— if I ever see a disaster, I'm
1: running to Irwin. We're going to think of
2: you. Help me, Dr. Red Letter.
3: <laughs> I'll say something. Chef, if you see a disaster, don't call me. I'll be really offended. <laughs> I want you to know that. Yep, yep. Oh,
1: no. But when Godzilla comes, we're calling you just yeah, so exactly, you know. Yeah, exactly. No matter what <laughs> happens. <laughs> oh, by the way, you have a long history... Of the medical treatment of children who couldn't otherwise afford th- that treatment, and you're author of the book. I have to give this a shout out. The future of us, what the dreams of children mean to 21st century America. So you're, you're the man. Thank you for, for even agreeing to be on our on our podcast here. My
3: great pleasure, actually, Neil. So thank you for having me. Neil. We
1: got Chuck here to make jokes. So I, nothing you do is a joke. <laughs> so,
2: so Chuck, exactly. <laughs>
1: So, <laughs> we'll, we'll try. We'll see how this goes. I don't yeah, know. Said, yeah, we will.
2: <laughs> so I'm call, not worried. You know, I call yeah, Dr. Yeah. Redlander uh, our, our own Tony Fauci. Like, uh, we got know, our own personal like, Fauci, we, don't yeah. Need, yeah. we don't need Tony Fauci. <laughs> we got Erwin we got Redliner. You know what I mean? That's, that's where we are. So, so, let me just ask you, the, the vaccine... Yeah. You know,
1: I view it like any other vaccine. If it can prevent an illness, I'm I'm getting it. Yeah. But there seems to be this gurgling of attitude towards the vaccine, yeah. holding aside the regular variety of anti-vaxxers. Okay. There's like a new subset who, or or are there maybe they're not new, maybe it's old, who have specific objections to this this vaccine. Can you tell us what's different about this vaccine from others?
3: Yeah, and i thought about this a lot, Neil. You know, one of the things was, remember when it was introduced, it was introduced during one of the strangest, most bizarre uh, presidential administrations in American history, that is under the umbrella of Donald Trump. So almost anything that was introduced in that weird four-year span was viewed with skepticism and uh, doubt and you know, when he would say, for example, that we're going to fast track this and he had something called Operation Warp Speed, which he actually did have, people either didn't believe it, they were skeptical about it. And it was a new technology, this sort of uh, this so-called mRNA, the messenger RNA technology. So this was born in an environment of serious skepticism. Also at a time simultaneously near where, where the anti-vax movement was growing anyway. So it was into this kind of Perfect very store. complex situation where people have doubt. And if it's fast-tracked, does that mean they, they bypass the safety assessment that we normally would expect? I mean, The fastest vaccine ever developed before this was the mumps, uh, which was a four-year process. Most vaccines take well more than 10 years. So there was skepticism.
1: All right, so what you're saying is we were a victim in a sense, the vaccine movement was a victim of, of the cry wolf problem, right? Because if so much of what emerges in the Trump administration was not objectively was not connected to an objective reality, and then he says something that is, then the entire anti-Trump movement. It, it has justifiable skepticism that it's going to be correct. When in fact, in this case, it was it, it was correct. So perhaps we shouldn't just in general we shouldn't be getting our medical advice from elected politicians.
3: A right? very good point. Okay, <laughs> think about this. He says, inject yourself with bleach to cure oh. yourself of COVID and get a vaccine. So. <laughs>
2: Do you know I forgot about that?
1: <laughs> okay, all right. So, all right. So, so, so that, okay, so that's, it's fascinating that it happened in this perfect storm of misinformation. Yep. And, but what about the integrity of institutions, right? If NASA says an asteroid's coming, people are going to listen, all right? So certain institutions have an integrity that has been preserved, or at least, fared better than other institutions. You mean think. like the CDC? Yeah, for example, the CDC or any no. other sort of medical, the you know, the Mayo Clinic, what, whatever it is yeah. that we trust. Are we in a post-institutional trust era? Forget an individual. How about just institutions?
3: Well, here's, here's what happened with that. So within a month of the uh, recognition that we're dealing with a pandemic uh, based on this particular coronavirus, the CDC sends out a 100 test kits across the United States for people and laboratories to be able to test to see if one has COVID or not. Those test kits, one third of them failed. So the CDC stepped out of the gate with a very unusual demonstration of incompetency that immediately eroded the public sense of faith in the CDC as an institution, to your point. So, again, this is like you said, it's this kind of collision course of incompetencies, disbelief, uh, dishonesty, etc. And here we go, and we should not be surprised that people are, you know, skeptical about the vaccines.
1: And holding aside the scarcity of masks in the early pandemic, weren't there official statements, and wasn't CDC included among them, declaring that you should not wear masks? Holding aside the, the, the scarcity, and you want the medical professionals to be first in line. Yeah. But w- wasn't there some also some widespread statements from authorities declaring that masks are not helpful?
3: There weren't. There absolutely weren't. In fact, Tony Fauci himself uh, was not all that enthusiastic about masks early on. And that changed, obviously. But, um, yeah, there was a lot of rumbling and uh, grumbling or... and. People making statements that were not necessarily true or things that they probably should have said, we think they are, but we'll see. We'll be doing a lot of tests and experiments and observations.
1: But Let me get back to that because that's a very important point about how science works and how experiments works and how new information arises. And I'll get back to that in a minute. There's a larger point I want to make about that, but let me keep moving this forward. What about um, the distrust of big pharma that's out there? That's real. <laughs> That's um, and, and the people who might be all in on their mistrust, uh, if you sift through that, there's going to be some things in their mistrust that, yeah, that actually did happen. Yeah, there is the profit motive. So how do you address that dimension of, of this uh, misinformation?
3: You know, let me say this. In 1947, and I'm making a point here, the... The country was worried about a new influx of smallpox into our country. New York City called up the six pharmaceutical manufacturers that made vaccines. They ordered six million doses. They didn't have to check with the state. They didn't have to check with the federal government. They just ordered the city, it. The city. New York up. City. The mayor and the That's, health that's badass. Met. Yeah. It's that's, totally that's, badass, that's, man. This is like, uh-huh. yeah. We need six million doses. We need it now. They got six million doses. And in less than six weeks, they inoculated for smallpox, six million New Yorkers. And the pictures are astounding. There's New Yorkers lined up for blocks and blocks, you know, these kind of 40s images of black and white images. It it was amazing. People trusted the health commissioner and the mayor. They said there was a bad thing coming the smallpox. Go get vaccinated. And they did in droves. Now we've had in the 60 years since a gradual increase in absolute skepticism about institutions, about corporations, about uh, government. And all of this has now, you know, it's all congealed in this massive mistrust of everything, including the institutions that we should be trusting. One good thing, a good thing about the Biden administration is the restoration of trust is happening already, and it's happening much faster than I even anticipated, Neil.
1: Okay, so now, what about this idea that you're, uh, unlike other vaccines where you put sort of a denuded version of the of the virus, and your body thinks it's the full virus, yeah. but, but you don't get the disease, but you get the antibodies, so that's the more traditional understanding of yeah. of, of, of vaccines. This one is actually modifying DNA. And that kind of has a spooky feeling to it. Well,
3: RNA for the for the Pfizer's and the and uh, the Modernas and DNA for the new J and J Johnson and Johnson that's coming out. But yes, it is spooky. And it's actually the the so called mRNA the messenger RNA vaccines are actually tricking the body's cells uh, into thinking that they've been invaded by some foreign virus when they're in fact been been tricked into thinking that there's a protein, that, because of a protein that's inserted into the body, they're tricked into thinking that it's a, some sort of uh, external virus, and then they manufacture the antibodies. It's pretty fancy stuff.
1: This is genetic engineering.
3: That's it is genetic means. engineering. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay.
1: Which
2: is
3: great.
2: Okay. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. come on. I, I, Thank all goodness, right. of course. <laughs> because it's not, you're not changing my DNA, right? You're not
3: engineering me. You know, Well, you kind of are.
1: We're we're making your body think something hap- is happening to it that isn't. That that's.
3: But, but Neil, we do the same thing with the old style viruses. We let's say if we give a dead uh, different kind of like a, what's called an adenovirus, uh, a dead or uh, attenuated version of the actual virus, you're also tr- tricking the body to thinking that oh, I got I got a real enemy here. I'm going to mount a, an immune response and. Okay. You know, this is what vaccines do. Okay, so, so it's just it's
1: a more sophisticated version more. of what we've been do what we've been doing yeah. for our bodies for decades. Yes, that that's a fair way to say that. Then, well, okay, so this is also a, a cosmic queries, and we did solicit questions from our fan base um, yeah. a, on the vaccines, and yeah. so I'd, I'm curious. Let's. Oh, oh, by the way, one last point. Mm-hmm. The trust or mistrust of vaccines does not land equally in the demographics of this country or even perhaps the world. And I think that may be rooted in a distrust of organized medicine, all right? And let's look at sort of the black community, for example. Mm. Uh, Just there is some really ugly history there. And so there's got there's, a, there's some explaining that needs to happen. There's some really significant effort in the restoration of trust that's necessary. I'm not and, letting the government do no experiments on me. Right. Well, exactly. Exactly. No, so that's it. that's it. So can you could you just remind us of sort of the pinnacle of the source of this distrust? Yeah, Irwin?
3: So there's a particular pinpoint in history that happened in the 30s and 40s, which was called the Tuskegee experiments, where researchers, legitimate scientific medical researchers decided, you know, we'd like to figure out what happens to somebody who gets syphilis Syphilis. and we don't treat them. So they rounded up a bunch of men with syphilis, black men in Tuskegee, and said, you know, we're going to give you free medical care. And we want to just observe you over the next few decades to see how you're doing. They did not tell them they were denying treatment for syphilis. So over the decades, they learned what happens with untreated syphilis at the cost of the lives and health of a large number of black Americans. So the point is, there
1: there were treatment was available, if not cure. They believed they were getting treated, but they were just getting a placebo. And there they were, unwitting medical experiments.
3: Yeah, horrendous. I I I like to use the term Nazi-like. I mean, you know, I I, and I mean that in a in a particular way because normal people. Don't experiment on other people like that. It's not okay in any way.
1: The eugenics movement was still sort of in progress oh, in the it early was, 30s it was when that was happening. Along there, of course, yeah, it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, this is also on top of a few hundred years of slavery, of Jim Crow, of institutional racism. This was like the capper. This was the. This is a very explicit, horrendous experiment on top of mistreatment and uh, of uh, African-Americans. That and by the way, we,
1: we confirmed this, there was the Public Health Service in collaboration with the Tuskegee Institute doing these right. experiments. Right? right, so it was there, a yeah. government
3: funding uh, okay. situation. And, the, so, and it went
1: through the 60s into the early 70s. So it was multi-decades. Yeah. So, so what, why would you expect anybody to believe anything you're saying when we have that kind of history? Uh,
3: that's the question. And this is what the challenge now is, how do we embrace what actually happened and move on from that at a time when it's critically important that black Americans, brown Americans, Native Americans must get vaccinated. And one of the things, too, Neil, is they are those populations are particularly prone to catching disease dying from disease and getting hospitalized from the disease. So they are the highest risk groups who have the most hesitancy about getting the vaccine. And this is, this is going to be tough work, convincing people that they really do need to get the vaccine in spite of that history. And I That's have the tough. answer. I, I, I figured it out. What's the,
2: what's the answer? It's called the racial buddy system for vaccination. <laughs> Okay, if any more, black please. person that goes to be vaccinated, a white person must go along with them, and they must get vaccinated from the same vial. Okay, <laughs> the white know. the white person goes first, okay. like a food taster, like a food taster. Oh, no, that's And then the black person gets to say, and then we know, and, so and we know,
1: and they withdrew it from the same source and from the same yeah. source. It's yeah, just like yeah,
2: all yeah. right. Here's my white buddy. He goes first. Bang. Because if, right, be, next- if you if you to
1: be killing black people, you're going to be killing white people right alongside There him. you go. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, got to take all a right. quick break. When we come back, we will indeed get to our questions from our fan base on the COVID vaccine. What's it all about when StarTalk returns?
3: Hi, I'm Chris Cohen from Haworth, New Jersey, and I support Star Talk on Patreon. Please enjoy this episode of Star Talk Radio with your and my favorite personal astrophysicist, Neil deGrasse Tyson.
1: We're back. Tyson here. I got Chuck Nice tweeting hey. at Chuck Nice Comic.
2: Thank you, sir. All Very right, kindly. Chuck,
1: I'd, I'd love your tweets, they're, they're insightful. And I'd laugh most of the time. Some you look like you're experimenting on us with whether something is funny.
2: Well, listen, I'm I'm very much like the public health service of (laughs) (laughs) comedy. Experimenting
1: Um, on Twitter is your sample base.
2: Is that what it is? Okay.
1: So we're talking about the COVID vaccine. um, all all nuances of it with our friend of Star Talk, Dr. Erwin Redliner, who's uh, chief honcho of all disaster preparedness that we know of in this country so uh Irwin, we've got questions from our audience if you don't mind taking them Chuck you've got them lined up uh, what do you have Chuck
2: right. I got them right here so let's start things off uh these are from our patreon patrons and of course if you are listening to this feel free to go to patreon.com star talk radio support us and uh, we will give you um priority so to speak okay uh this is Cameron Bishop Cameron Bishop uh, okay yes uh he says I was recently listening to a star talk episode about pandemics years ago which had to be Lori Garrett Lori Garrett uh, for sure mm-hmm. yes uh, he says I was curious uh, the guest said that back when we no longer have to vaccinate for smallpox it's because we eliminated the virus how likely is something like this with sars COVID 2. Please stay healthy. There you have okay, it. Okay. Excellent question. I love it. So,
1: Erwin, so, so SARS CoV 2, that's the the official, that's the, the geeky name for COVID 19?
3: Yeah. SARS CoV 2.
1: Okay. That's so, that's the, the name, name of the, the yeah. virus and COVID 19 is the, of the
3: specific virus.
1: And the disease you get from that is COVID 19. Right. Is that a fair way to put that? Okay. It is.
3: Okay. And the reason it's called COVID 2 is because we had a COVID 1. Back in 2003, in fact, which okay. is when people started thinking about how we were going to confront it uh, with vaccines and so on. Okay.
1: But I thought it was COVID-19 because it was 2019 when it was yes. discovered.
3: Yes. But the name, that's the disease, but the name of the virus is SARS-CoV-2.
1: Two. So it's the second
3: virus. It's the second virus in this
1: family of
2: viruses. In this family yes. of viruses.
1: Got it. Got it. Okay. Oh, nice. All right.
2: Perhaps you know my father, as Kobe One. Yeah, we called him Big Dog Kobe. The name. Big you Dog Kobe. Know. That's yeah, what yeah. they call my dad. You yeah, shot him
1: yeah. down in <laughs> Tombstone, Arizona, and I come exactly. for my revenge. And
2: <laughs> 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 I can get away with that. Yeah. <laughs> My name is Sar tool. You killed my father. <laughs> Prepare to die. <laughs> <That's> right.
1: <laughs> all right. So, so, okay. what, so, if smallpox is done, then what? It, can we have similar hopes for this one? No, because damn.
3: Damn. damn. Okay.
1: Next well, question. <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. No, it's the the problem is that it's a very these coronaviruses, which is this this is one of, are very very common. You can't really eliminate them, and it's going to end up being endemic, meaning around all the time. It may well get mixed. The the vaccine for this may well get mixed into the annual flu shots that we get, and uh, that's that. We'll control it, but we're. Gonna, I don't think we're going to stop it.
1: But, but more, isn't it true? Equally as important is that humans, Homo sapiens, were the only victim of smallpox. So if you get rid of smallpox, it's not jumping to you from a bat or some, from some other creature that we handle.
3: That is correct. It's,
1: okay, so smallpox had, was unique in that way. Now, if you're going to have species-jumping viruses, uh, you, it's not clear that you would ever be able to stamp them out entirely at
3: all. Correct. And then you have uh, also the, the so-called variants or mutations that we're confronting where you have a little bit of a change in the makeup of the virus that causes it to have different characteristics or less sensitive to the vaccines and so on. So this is going to be around for a while, but I think we'll learn to live with it and we'll adapt to it, but uh, mm-hmm. it, it's not going away like smallpox.
1: Yeah. And like you said, if it's, if it's a part of every season's uh, cocktail, then yeah. we're good to go.
2: All right. Here yeah, we are. All right. Hopefully. All right, Chuck, yeah. next question. Excellent. Okay, let's go to Tovi Sonnenberg, who says, Hello from New Jersey. We're so sorry for you. <laughs> no, I know. I just thought. But <laughs> <laughs> First of all, Chuck lives it's, in New Jersey, so that's it's, 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 well, a that's joke. Why I, that's why I could say it's a you joke. Could,
1: you could say it's a joke, but right. also, just the way you said that, I was ready for it to be from a really exotic place. Right. It's like Toby from, you know,
2: <laughs> exactly from to t- Tasmania. No, from New yeah, Jersey. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. So uh, Toby says this: Why couldn't Pfizer and Moderna start uh, using standard vaccine techniques for COVID nineteen? Why was it necessary to use the RNA vaccine. Yeah, so
1: Ern, wouldn't it have been easier just to just to denature the virus we already know is in the house? Why is one faster than the other?
3: Well, maybe, but you know, the the mRNA technique is really quick and it's very effective. And you're not fooling around putting uh, live or attenuated vaccines, uh, viruses into people. So right. there are a lot of advantages, even now, because you know we're now we're seeing all these variants and mutations. We're worried about them being more infective and maybe uh, more lethal. Uh, you can make a v- very rapidly a booster shot. Let's say, if, in fact, Moderna is, as we speak, working on booster shots that will specifically address these new variants. Uh, otherwise, we would have had to start from start fresh in a very different and much more prolonged process. Uh, to get the the uh, protection uh, you, you, if we were you, using the old techniques.
1: Erwin, you used a word, uh, infective. Is that the same thing as contagious?
3: It is. In the context oh. of how we're talking about, it, yes. it's the same thing. Okay. Got it. Yep.
2: Okay. So is it also not true that, because a lot of people are Somewhat concerned that this technology, if you will call it, this advancement uh, was rushed. But is it not true that this has been in the works for quite some time because of some people uh, after the SARS outbreak saw the opportunity to make these advancements and through these hedge fund investments started working on this years ago. So it's not like last February they started working on this mRNA
3: technology. Exactly, that's exactly correct. And like we are just talking about before, uh, Chuck, it's, it's actually started, as you just reminded us, uh, after the SARS, the initial SARS uh, pandemic. And uh, yeah, and we had a real running start getting prepared to rapidly develop the uh, vaccines that are confronting the SARS-CoV-2 virus.
1: And that's a dimension of this entire landscape that I think is unrecognized or unappreciated, that there, that it was a running start up to the starting uh, to the starting line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 All right, Chuck, keep
2: it coming. Give me more. All right, let's keep going. Love these. Um, let's go with Fernando Gomes uh, or Gomez. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. He says, uh, "Why do our policies fail so badly in enforcing mass?" vaccinations. Since it is a collective protection measure, shouldn't everybody partake? Yeah, well, I, I think Erwin kind of
1: addressed that, that like 70 years ago, we we all did agree. So, Erwin, let me just jump before you answer that. Uh, is there some renewed sense of individual freedom that people feel the need to express in this country so that the idea of being free means I don't have to listen to anybody tell me anything.
3: Yeah, actually that's a really big problem. Of course, again, exacerbated by Donald J. Trump, who made a political uh, uh agenda from this public health catastrophe. And, and which here's the thing about this. So it's a question of I'm I'm deciding to take a risk, and you don't have a right to tell me not to. Except that's not really applicable. If you're risk-taking means that you're going to climb up a you know, straight wall cliff or go skydiving, good luck to you. And,
1: and we'll let, let you do that. Insurance. It, it, and in this country, right. we let you do that.
3: Yes, you can right. do that. Mm-hmm. But if your risk puts, threatens me, that's not okay. You can't, you can't say my risk is I'm not going to wear a mask, let's say. That's, I'm taking that risk, uh, so I'll get COVID, uh, SARS-CoV-2, and, and that's my choice. It is not your choice because your choice is actually if you implement it, if you do what you say you're going to do, which is not do the protections that are required, and you make me or my family or my friends sick because of your recklessness that you are declaring your personal right, that is not okay in a society like ours. So it's, a, it's differentiating between the individual risk and taking a risk on behalf of a lot of other people.
1: Okay, so the people who are now doing that, did they just not learn civics? Did they just not, uh, are they have no empathy? Are they, I mean, you're a medical doctor with presumably some training in psychology or, or psychiatry. How do you analyze this?
3: It's, it's a little narcissistic. It's a little self-centered. It, it's it's about focusing in a very egotistical way on you personally with uh, some disregard for your, the people who are around you. And I, I think that's really what we're talking about. And that could get obviously extreme, which doesn't happen all that often, but people uh, who... Who, who say, I, who have no empathy whatsoever, and they sort of are drifting into the realm of psychopathology, and uh, that's not okay. But for most people who are in that category, I don't think they're thinking properly or broadly about what they are implying when they say, I'm taking this risk and you be damned. And that's, that's where we run into trouble, Neil.
2: Or it could very well be that those people, are anal apertures, better known as a-holes. <laughs> okay. Oh, So that explains well, the whole thing. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Do I have to answer
1: that? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you don't have to ever steep as low as Chuck goes. Okay? This is not a requirement. So, Chuck, give me more. We've got time for another, a couple more before this segment ends.
2: Okay, here we go. This is Woody. Woody doesn't give us anything except he's Woody. Okay. And he says... Uh, what level of efficacy uh, what different groups have receiving the first round of vaccines how does preventing spreaders like youth compare to protecting the vulnerable like uh oldies um shout out to Australia's corona cast for the idea wait, wait so is it okay i don't let, think I so, are those two different
1: I questions should, like one of them is what is the let me split that what is the efficacy of the very first round of experiments that are conducted, right? If you're going to say it's safe for me because you experimented on some other humans,
2: what is that about? So I think what he's asking is exactly what you just said, but he wants to use the first round as a means of comparing and contrasting the efficacy between the elderly and young people instead of just trying to protect certain people.
3: Yeah, so let me let me say. So first of all, the long history of uh, medical research and the use of human subjects was originally about uh, the subjects being, you know, middle class, middle aged, white males, and many many experiments to figure out what drugs work and so on were done with that very narrow group. And then people started to say, well, what about women? Uh, what about African Americans? What about children? And I think our understanding of uh, if you're going to do a broad-based, uh, full population vaccine, for example, uh, you can't say that you, if you gave it to 10,000 white guys, uh, that'll def- middle-aged white guys, that'll definitely be uh, effective in older people or African Americans or kids. So, so the more now,
1: demographics are, that you have to address, the bigger that original sample has to be.
3: Exactly right. Exactly right. And um, so when people say, are we going to give the vaccine to children, for instance, um, and Dr. Fauci recently said, yeah, we probably in the fall, we'll be starting to give it to children as young as six years of age, which is probably fine. But then they're going to have to, before that, Give a lot of young children the vaccine to make sure it's safe and effective, which is ethically a little tough, as you can imagine.
1: Right, because plus a child is not, uh, unlike an adult, a child is not entirely accountable for having received the trial dose of vaccine in the first place.
3: Right. Nobody could could give you a trial of anything without your permission and without getting a whole lot of explanation of the risks and the benefits, etc., but what is it that you're supposed to say to a seven-year-old to, to make that person, you know, comfortable or, or have the ability to, to give approval?
1: Right. So oh, it, it's, it's just
3: guardianship. So,
2: guardians so easy. So easy. Here's some cookies and some juice. And the, <laughs> answer, the answer will be yes. <laughs> or it's a <laughs> can. Put it in a can. Here, no, no. Here's a no. lollipop. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> We're going to
1: take a quick break, our final break. And when we return... It's to the COVID vaccine and Dr. Irwin Reznor. We'll see you in a moment.
4: Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Pulling up to Mickey D's
5: just for drinks?
4: Oh yeah, that's me.
5: Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then there are drinks from McDonald's.
0: Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and
4: participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer.
5: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
4: In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, We've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.
2: Hey, it's time to give a Patreon shout out to the following Patreon patrons. Joe Selmser, Daniel Smith, and C. How. Thanks, guys. See how you're helping. All right, I'm gonna stop now. Without you, we couldn't do this show. And for anybody who is listening, who would like their very own Patreon shout out, please go to patreoncom Star talk radio and support us. We're back. Star Talk. The COVID vaccine.
1: Ooh. Chuck, we're in question mode for yes, Irwin Redliner. Let's give me some more.
2: All right, let's keep it moving. Let's go with Roman Prekop, who says Hi doctors Okay, well, thanks for leaving me out. <laughs> Did you feel that as a diss, Chuck? Uh, okay. No, I mean, I mean, you know, I'm the I'm only one that's not a doctor here. <laughs> he could have said
1: hell doctors plus Chuck. He could have said that. Yeah, right, he right. could have
2: said, well, you know.
3: All right. Neil, anyway. you know, we're, fi- we're finally getting our doom, Neil. This is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> i <I'm> sorry, Chuck. <laughs> all right, here he We trained hard with... for this moment. All right, all right. <laughs>
2: all right, he says, hi, doctors. Uh, do the current vaccines... Really decrease the spreading, ooh, or just make the symptoms less severe. Yeah. So well,
3: the vaccine wait, people are yeah. they
1: spreaders, and they don't, and they don't, but they don't get it. What? Well,
3: what? they might be, and unfortunately, we didn't set up the trials well enough to know, or appropriately enough to know the answer to that question. But what we do know is that they're very effective in preventing disease serious disease and hospitalizations all of them are including the new uh johnson and johnson vaccine which will be out in uh you know a month or so so that's what we know and uh the degree of spreading unclear
1: it's, it's unknown it's a, it's pure and simple okay
3: yeah right
1: all right so that would mean you could be a carrier with no symptoms is what that comes you down Could to. be.
3: yeah yep.
2: okay got it okay Keep it going, Chuck. All right, let's keep it going. Sam Couch would like to know this. What makes certain vaccines have the requirement of being stored under super cold temperatures? Oh, I love that question. While while others have no issue being stored close to room
1: temperature. Erwin, I was looking at the temperature for the Pfizer vaccine, 70 below zero. Come on now. Uh, 90. no, sc- excuse me. <laughs> 90 <laughs> 70, below. <laughs> 70,
2: you're going to ruin the vaccine.
3: Neil, so, you can't do that. So, yeah, yeah.
1: so you're not going to have the corner vaccine dispenser doing this. This is going to have to only be in major institutions and hospitals that have freezers that low. Yeah,
3: of course. Of so, course.
1: so yeah, what, what's up with that? So what?
3: Pfizer requires about minus 90 Fahrenheit. Moderna about minus five. The new Johnson & Johnson single dose vaccine will be able to be stored for three months in a regular refrigerator. Wow. Which is an amazing advance. And even though the J&J vaccine is said to be less effective, it still is an incredible vaccine when it comes to preventing serious illness and hospitalizations. But the big problem here, really the big problem is the global impact of, of trying to deal with vaccines that need this sort of arctic temperature uh, for containment and storage. So we will not be able to use the Pfizer vaccine, for example, in many, many developing countries where that's called the cold chain. That cold chain capacity does not exist.
1: So, So it may be that your less effective vaccine, which stays preserved in a refrigerator, will in fact be the most effective force Fighting absolutely because that will have the widest distribution.
3: Right. And by the way, if we don't address COVID nineteen, in every single country on earth, it really will will affect our ability to get this virus under control in general. So we can't say, oh, we're doing great in the US and in, you know, ninety other countries, we're not doing so great, because those will become pockets. For infecting, mutating, and causing resurgence of the uh, COVID nineteen disease, so we have a lot of global work to do, which is why the J and J vaccine is so critically important part of our armamentarium.
1: That's the first positive thing I've heard about it. So it's good to realize yeah. this.
3: Yeah, yeah. People I people saying it for
1: sure. Yeah, in fact, on on late night comedians were poking fun of, they were third. In the list, and they ended the 50% rather than 95%. And so, yeah, it, it didn't look good. It's like the, yeah, the laggard yeah, yeah, student yeah. in your class, you know?
2: Yeah. 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 yeah, except that it doesn't have to be stored at, you know, um, moon like temperatures. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Know? All right. Give me some more, Chuck. Here we go. This is Matthew Power. Uh, Matt we Power should collect says all the this.
1: names that would be great superheroes from our fans. I know. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It w- it would be, yeah. So Matt Power wants to know this. He says, uh, hello, Dr. Redliner, Dr. Tyson. It's my understanding that two at least two vaccines by different companies are on the market. Are these vaccines basically the same thing? Are they so different that it makes
3: a difference? Mm. Is he talking about you think the Jane J versus the Pfizer. I know we just. No, I guess I, the, how about just the two no, RNA no, he's, ones?
2: The, 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 he's talking about oh. the two that are pretty much the same. So that's Moderna and yeah, yeah, and Pfizer. Pfizer. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: there's not enough difference to talk about with those. You know, um, I've been vaccinated. My wife's been vaccinated at the same place. She got uh, Pfizer. I got Moderna. They're they're close enough in the way they function. Uh, we're very confident in the results. And the safety of both of them, uh, there were some differences in how they're manufactured, which account for why they require different temperatures for storage. You know, like I said, minus 90 for Pfizer and minus five for uh, Moderna. But, you know, if you're worrying about which to get, don't worry about it. Take whatever's available. Get it. That's
2: get the lesson. There. That's the lesson. Get okay. what you got. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Get what you get. Right. Uh, okay. All right. All right. This is Mike Bertruccio. Mike Bertruccio wants to know this. Hello. What advancements to vaccines in general were developed for the COVID 19 vaccine? Do you anticipate that we'll see new vaccines coming on I to like the market that. for other diseases? I-, I like that. Yeah. So, did was this a leap in any way, Erwin?
3: It was definitely a leap. But uh, again, I think we should mention once again that this was not a leap that happened, you know, a year ago. This is a leap that started happening. The leaping began at least as far back as 2003 when people were looking at new mechanisms for developing vaccines and came up with this so-called mRNA uh, technique. But, but also uh, we- in,
1: in the last 20 years, there's been great advancements in medical tools and technology to even accomplish yeah. this, isn't that correct?
3: Yes, no question about it. Okay. And um, yeah, and this, this advancement is occurring nonstop and we will certainly get, be getting things that we can't even imagine now. This is one of the things, the beauty of looking into the future is that the research and the developments, the innovation doesn't stop like in other areas of science. This is a, an iterative process. So we learned this last year Wait, what if we modify it this way? What will we get? Or what if we have a whole new vision of how to make a vaccine? And, uh, and that's what's happening. And by the way, I want to say one other word that's really important to the discussion of vaccines. The new tool that we'll have in our toolbox will be medications that you can take as an outpatient. If you have the early signs of COVID and you test positive for it, where the doctor can prescribe A new medication you take by mouth and you're done with it so that the combination of the vaccines as they get more effective and more distributed and new medications to actually treat the early forms of disease is what's going to allow us to gain control over this terrible pandemic. And that's the light at the end of the tunnel. Really, both of these things.
1: Cool. Very cool. So you do have something positive to say. Mr. Disaster Preparedness Person. Okay.
3: okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do. You know one of the radio shows that I'm on a lot, Stephanie Miller Show. They call me Doctor Doom.
1: Doctor Doom. There you <laughs> go. Mm. <laughs> Which is.
3: Well, anyway,
2: no comment. Okay, All right. So. I keep All going, right, Chuck. We got we go. time
1: for like two more questions. Go.
2: All right. Let's uh, let's go to Josh V. Josh V. says... He don't, he don't trust you it. with his
1: last name. That's why he just said Josh know, clearly uh, just one more I, person I, who I knows... I am not trusting Chuck.
2: I don't blame him, you know? Uh, <laughs> 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 <it's>, uh, <laughs> All right, Josh V. says this. I read a lot about herd immunity and the numbers of immune people needed to defeat the virus. Yeah. Is... Is there clarity on what percentage of the population needs to be vaccinated to actually achieve herd immunity? Yeah, and Irwin, so is isn't immunity,
1: that a, wait, wait? Isn't that dependent on how close we ever are to each other on average? Isn't herd immunity different for for rural and than it is for urban?
3: Not so much when we talk about the whole populations, really. So, in any community, any community. We'll need to get a certain number of people who've either had the disease or who are vaccinated with an appropriate immune response. So that number was once thought to be 65 to 70% of the population that had to have the immunity. It's now well into the 85, 90% that must have it. And, um, that's, that's a a hard row here to hoe here. And, uh, we're going to see what happens, but it's a lot higher number or percentage. So,
1: so, so the point is, So the way that herd immunity works then, correct me if I'm wrong, is you're one in 10 that has the disease, but nine of us can't get it because we're vaccinated, so you're not going to spread it. And so what are the chances of you finding someone else who is one in 10? Well, that's sufficiently low. Correct. That even if you do spread it, that person has to have sufficiently low likelihood of something happen as well. So it rapidly tamps down Back to zero. Exactly, exactly. That's the whole point. All right, so that's just to
2: think that through. So one of the, I, I know we're running out of time, but I just want to follow that up with when you said, what you said initially was enough people either have to be vaccinated or get the disease. So with that in mind, we are now seeing some cases, I don't know if they're isolated or not, but we're seeing some cases of reinfection Does that change the whole prospect of herd immunity? Yeah.
3: Yeah. No, well, the thing of it is a tiny number of cases or reinfected cases. And, you know, there's this weird thing happening that people have had the disease documented and presumably have the antibodies to uh, to SARS-CoV-2 are still getting vaccinated. So uh, my son, by the way, who had documented um 19 in march last you know last march um recovered had antibodies. he still his doctors wanted to get the vaccine which he's getting okay so small chance but really small
1: okay uh, chuck what we got 30 seconds give me something
2: Okay. Hello, Neil. Hello, Dr. Red Leonard. As the virus continues to mutate and become more immune to vaccine, that's an assumption he's making. How often do you think we'd have to vaccinate to maintain life from all the mutations of COVID? Ooh, I like that.
3: Oh, look at that. I do too, but we don't know we don't know sorry <laughs> who wants to end the segment
1: with i don't know no no i, I got another yeah. way to come in on that but just to, to, to shed a little bit of yeah. light on that are you saying there's not something sufficiently in common with all of the mutations that by attacking that thing they have in common it'll get any mutation that could ever take place you're telling me you're not in that situation
3: no, we're not in that situation. Damn, you know. I thought the, you guys South were Africa like the version is like you know dangerous and it may be more lethal than other ones. It, 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 we just it's a work in progress. And Damn. viruses are smart; they're wily. They'll mm. figure out a way around whatever we put there, so we have to be very careful and very diligent in addressing it.
2: All right. Oh, wow. Well, let me. See. So you could end up. Could you end up making a super virus by trying to attack a virus?
3: a super virus by attacking virus, all I know is, all I'm telling you is that viruses mutate like crazy. And we got new mutations, by the way, in the United States right now. And we just have to stay ahead of it. We just, this is why we have to get everyone vaccinated as quickly as possible so that the mutations don't run wild, Chuck.
1: Right. Because the more there viruses there are out there, the more opportunity there is to mutate. So you want to take that down. So the
2: idea is we all have to do what we're supposed to do, which is our part in getting vaccinated. And if you're not vaccinated, then you have to do your part by washing your hands and wearing your mask. And then after you get vaccinated, you still got to wash your hands (laughs) and wear your mask and all that. So basically everybody's responsible.
1: Life is cruel. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Life is cruel. Damn.
1: So I just want to sort of conclude by noting That I think something needs to be updated in our educational system for people to recognize that anything that's scientifically new will have uncertainties. And, but the best access to what is good for you will not come from people who are not the scientists. All right. The scientists will find out. On that frontier, what is working? what is not? And if at any given moment you got to jump in, you can jump in. But if things yeah. change, it doesn't mean the scientists don't know what the hell they're talking about. It means at that time, that was the known understanding. and you right. and that comes with a risk. So the press generally doesn't talk about that risk. They just say the scientists don't know anything, and that is because it hasn't been taught in a way where people can understand the actual undulating, moving frontier of discovery. And so I, I applaud your candor when you said, we don't know yet whether after your vaccine, if you can spread it. We don't know. Uh, that That is so important. And it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of this is how the science works.
3: And stay and Neil, with me on this that. Is what, this is what you've been teaching everybody forever, which is that this is the beauty of science. We we learn this. There's more to learn. We keep learning. It's a, it's constant exploration. Yes, yes. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's, that's what we have to teach in school. This is this is how we know and and learn to know. We right? got it. So
1: finally, we got Irwin well, to end on a good on a positive note.
2: There you go. That's right. <laughs> and I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged because if not knowing makes science beautiful, then I'm the most beautiful <laughs> scientist there is.
1: <laughs>
5: <laughs> All right, Chuck. I'll quote you.
1: Uh, yeah. yeah, well, we I all got to quote Chuck on that one. All right, Erwin, always good to have you. Thanks for being a friend of Likewise. the show, Thanks, guys. Uh, Chuck. You know I love you. Love you too, man. Uh, all right, Neil deGrasse Tyson here, concluding our episode of the COVID nineteen vaccine. As always, I bid you to keep looking up.
4: Listening to your favorite podcast—that's smart.